Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman. My thanks as always to TLT and Yeasty Boys. This must be episode 265. And um, look, I'm phoning this one in. I'm sending you uh, a, a audio of a talk that I did last year. So there's no guest. The guest this week is me. Uh, this is my conversation that I hosted and uh, dominated as I was the only person talking at the Manawatu Writers Festival last year. Now I'll, I'll include a link to all of the details around this if you're interested. Um, I shared an episode last year with uh, Rachel DeRay interviewing me about this. She had booked me for this festival. I went up to Fielding and spoke about blogging which seemed like an archaic topic in a writers festival in 2020 but there you have it, that was the brief. And I got to sort of explore basically my my life as a freelance writer and the things that I've done. And we talked about a whole lot of things. My Obviously I just had the poetry book out and it was about to come out and so I was talking about that. And um, yeah, I just had a huge conversation about podcasting, writing, blogging, um, interviewing people, uh, remembering back to the days of, of how I got into uh, freelance writing, of how I nestled into the newspaper and got into reviewing gigs and and briefly becoming one of the more hated figures in uh, New Zealand music apparently, which I've always laughed at and thought was silly because I gave them all a lot of good copy as well. But anyway, there was this was the conversation and this was recorded at the time and was put up on a YouTube channel and I've got the audio of it and I've always had it in my back pocket to share and uh, I thought why not. So uh, feel free to skip this episode, it is just more of me talking but uh, if you are interested in the story of who I am and why I'm doing the things I'm doing, a lot of it is in this conversation. I met at this party, but if you, newspapers are a family, and if you get in, you're in. And uh, so, yeah, I did the barbecue story, and then she said, have you got anyone that you know that you think would be interesting that might have a, a cool story and live somewhere where we could take some photos? And I said, well, there's this guy I've just met, his name's Ray Mercer, and I don't know if any of you have heard of him or know him, but he's, he's done many great things. He was a musician, and he fixes guitars, and he has an interest in doing up cars, but this was prior to him becoming a, a local council member in Wellington, um, but he had this massive conservation background. He was interested in, in activism and conservation and protecting the environment. So he was interesting, uh, instantly an interesting guy, and I didn't, only met him once. So I rang him and said, hey, could we come around? I, I knew he had some cool stuff in his house, like he had an acoustic guitar sitting in the corner that had been given to him by Robert Plant, the lead singer of Led Zeppelin, because he had actually been a roadie for Led Zeppelin. So I thought, if we can pull these sorts of things into the story, this is cool. Um, so that was my first published proper piece for the paper and it was, you know, I went out and bought five copies of it. I don't know how old I was, I think I was probably 22 or 3. And I bought five copies of it and put a copy in a post bag and sent it to my parents. And, you know, I wouldn't know actually to this day if they read it, but they received it. Um, anyhow, anyway, then I went and... Um, did, did one with uh, did a housing story with Miranda Harcourt, a famous actor and acting coach and teacher. And I know Miranda reasonably well now, but that I hadn't actually met her. I'd met her husband, and I got the best reply. I wrote to him, and he's Stuart McKenzie's a director and a writer, and a, and the very best person you could ever follow on Instagram. So if you're on Instagram at all, thinking about becoming a person who's on Instagram, write down Stuart McKenzie and look him up. He he has made blogging a thing on Instagram. He takes these beautiful, he's a great photographer, he takes these beautiful photographs, but even when he takes like a boring photograph of like, no offence to these cookbooks or whatever, but maybe he'll just take a photo of that, but then he'll write a sizable story underneath it. 
and his story might tell you about who he is, but it might tell you about how he once had dinner with one of those writers. It might tell you the history of the Fielding Library and how there used to be heaps of traffic lights in Fielding, but they cut them all down. He will know this stuff, and you might not have known that, and he will educate you on it. So he's become this great Instagram blogger. Anyway, I had met him once. A friend had hooked me up with him and said, you want to be a writer? Stuart McKenzie's a great writer. You should have coffee with him. And I did, and he was nice. And then I wrote to him and said, hey, you were so nice. Would you like it if we infiltrated your home with a photographer and took photos of where you live and asked you all these questions about who you are and why you do what you do and why you live where you live? And he wrote back with the most brilliant answer and said, I knew Miranda was his wife, by the way, but he wrote back with the most brilliant answer, which is, no, thank you. This absolutely terrifies me. Uh, I have no interest in this at all. <coughs> However, my wife, Miranda Harcourt, has a sort of vanity where she would love to have people in her house and talk to her about what she does. She's an actor, you know, and, she, and, she's, and we've just had a baby, and she would consider this work, so it would be our honour. So I went to their house and met their fa now famous daughter, Thomason, who's in all these movies. I met her when she was about three weeks old, I think, or two weeks old. She was, you know, just being held there. And, um, and talked to them about their house. They've got an amazing art collection. And that became the second published story. So after I had that as a track record, I was able to go to the newspaper and ring them and write to them and say, please let me write some music reviews for you. I've, I'm in the family. I've done a couple of published articles for you. Um, that didn't go anywhere, so I just emailed this guy one day who I thought was in charge of the music reviews and wrote the world's rudest email, which was, especially the world's rudest email as job application. I said, uh, who writes your record reviews? They're all terrible. You guys are shit. You're all terrible, lazy journalists that just want free CDs. Um, you're quite good. Your reviews are good. I like yours, but everyone else is terrible. Um, I know way more than any of them, and I will, I'll, I'll do a way better job. Why don't you have me? And then I, I could, and my, I guess my 22 or 23 year old logic was, they'll, they'll write back and tell me to, you know, please go in that direction, um, <laughs> without saying it so quietly. Um, or maybe I'll get a job out of it. And I, I was so new to email that I had actually forgotten that I had an email signature at the bottom of my cell phone number. So about two minutes after sending that, uh, then I got, a, I got a phone call. And the guy basically said, all right, if you think you're so flash hot, why don't you come in here now, we'll give you a pile of CDs that, um, that we don't want, and we'll give you a week to write about them. And I was like, great. Jumped in the car, drove from Island Bay into the Evening Post headquarters, and found this guy and at his desk was a stack of about this many CDs and they were terrible. They were 90s dance music compilations, commercial hip hop. The big trend at the time was white rappers because of Eminem, but this was all the white rappers that weren't Eminem, i.e. they were shit. And um, so it was all this stuff that they had no interest in, that they'd been getting sent. This is back in the day when record companies had heaps of money. Back when there were record companies, back when there were CDs, back when there was music journalism. And so they, they said, um, take all of these CDs and you, you have one week to write 135 to 160 words about as many of these as you can. And I reckon there was 35 CDs. And I stayed up for three nights listening to this stuff over and over. I was working in a record store, so I was into music, and I was, I'd always been into music, and we'll get to that, but 
I, I reckon I turned it around in two or three days. I do remember that I um, saved them to a floppy disk and drove it and handed the disk. Like, so I'm making this sound so much more archaic than a, well, it was, but I drove in and handed the guy a disk and I said, oh, here's some reviews. And he goes, great, how many did you do? I said, I, I did all of them. And he's like, oh, this was sort of like a test. We were hoping to never hear from you again. <laughs> you know, we, just, we just thought you'd get home and listen to the first one and put it in the bin. And I said, no, no, it was great fun. I loved it. Where's the next pile? And he kind of went, well, you've sort of exhausted the cupboard, but here's, here's three or four. Please take a lot longer with these. You know, don't rush back. And, um, and we'll get through these. And lo and behold, they started publishing these reviews that I wrote. And over the next several weeks... Quite a few of them turned up, and the, they used to do a whole page of album reviews back then. I think it was on a Thursday. Uh, we moved around a bit, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was one of those days. But anyway, they would do a whole page. And so sometimes I have five or six reviews in there. So I started to get a little bit known from doing that, I guess. And then I was doing music reviews for North and South magazine, and I was, um, what else, doing a few other things. Not really anything online. But then I became the, um, one of the music reviews for the Good Morning TV show, which was a different thing altogether because, I mean, you know, I've barely got a, a face for radio, you know, <laughs> let alone TV. So this was never my thing. But when, but when they asked me if I'd go and do a screen test for it, it was like, yeah, this is a different thing about reviewing. This is completely different. And it was. It became a, and so I did that for a long time, about 10 years, until they, until they moved Good Morning back up to Auckland and then, and then mothballed it a couple of years after that. So that became a fun experience. So I guess what I'm getting to is that in all of this experience of commenting about music non-stop, and I was, um, I got a gig doing like five minutes a week talking on News Talk ZB, not about music. They, can you believe it? They let me talk about whatever I wanted. Um, you're probably wondering how I could have filled the time. I went for it. It was great fun, and I did that for about eight, eight, seven or eight years, I think, um, talking to the great, the late, great Gary Ward, um, who I've written down here the best thing he ever told me, which became a really, really good uh, maxim for, if not blogging, then certainly publishing opinion pieces, which I've done, and then moved into blogging, which in a way is the ultimate form of opinion piece. His, he said, golden, golden motto, kid, golden rule. Never complain, never explain. And uh, I don't know if that was his maxim or someone else's, but um, uh, he's not around to 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 not get uh, to get done with plagiarism, so I'll attribute it to him. Um, but he was wonderful, and I love that idea. That's that's the confidence that you have to have. I said at the start, you know, that you're all expert in your own opinion. So be be humble and be prepared to be pulled up. on when you get something wrong when you're publishing blogs and opinion pieces, sure, but. Uh, but you shouldn't have to justify why you've done it. That's what I took from the never complain, never explain. And I, I've had this, I think, healthy, borderline unhealthy uh, <laughs> approach to to allowing comments on things and not letting them get to me because that's an important thing. So I was doing all of this stuff and then I um, got asked, or no, I asked if I could do a blog for stuff. They had just tentatively put the toe in the water with blogs and a few people had been writing to me over the last couple of years at the time saying why aren't you doing a music blog why do we only get to read what you write about music once a week you should have your own site you should be doing a blog blah 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 so I thought um, I'll ask this guy so I wrote to this guy toning down my approach from when I emailed the, <laughs> the guy in charge of the music reviews I I changed my tone slightly and wrote to this guy and said 
Who's in charge of the stuff books? They're all fantastic. They're all amazing. I'd love to be part of this family. You're all so good. Would you please, you know, uh, would you be interested at all? And I know, I notice you don't have a music blog. And he wrote back, well, it got forwarded to the person who was in charge, who wrote back to me and said, this is really good timing. You're on my list of people to talk to. We, um, we, we do want to have a music blog, and your name came up straight away, and we would like you to do it. So that became a blog called Blog on the Tracks. I came up with the name because I loved the Bob Dylan album, Blood on the Tracks, and I thought it was actually a really clever pun, and a lot of people thought it was a really stupid pun. <laughs> I love the fact that we each have our own opinion on that. Um, <laughs> So I called that uh, blog on the tracks, and I decided really quickly, this was late 2007, and so blogs were pretty fresh then, certainly in terms of mainstream media in New Zealand. Uh, I decided pretty quickly that I would do it every day. I would do it from Monday to Friday, because they said, oh, the, the golden rule of blogging is you need to be regular. People need to learn about you, and they need to know when to expect that they can read this stuff. So you need to turn up, you know, a couple of times a week, and I thought, a couple of times a week is the worst thing ever because then you let Tuesday slide and it becomes Thursday and then you think, oh, I'll catch up next week and I'll do three. What if I create a daily deadline for myself? What if from Monday to Friday I have to do something? This will become my writing exercise. I was still writing reviews, still still on TV, doing things for an insane period there in, I think, 2010. I was also writing for the Herald under a fake name because I wasn't allowed to write for both papers. So I, I was writing uh, film reviews, interviews with international musicians like people like Ozzy Osbourne and stuff. And I would, it was really funny because I was like, how do you do this? How do you have a fake name? I'd grown up loving Stephen King and finding out about Richard Barkman, and his pen name and how he just loved being mustard on it. And I thought, how, so how do you do this? How do you... Um, so I would just interview people as Simon Sweetman and then the article would just come out as Mark Reed and I just never explained, never complained, never explained. Nothing ever got said about it. I picked the most generic sounding name I could, I guess. Like, there was no, no story in it at all. Um, it just seemed like a name no one would question. And they did it for about a year until they did and then I stopped. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, so I was doing all this other stuff but the main thing, I guess, in terms of visibility was the stuff block. It's hard for it not to be when they put their fucking face there every day on the website. So, you know, I never signed up for that, but it became the reality. So then I got started getting, like, recognised in the street for writing things, which is a very weird thing because why you think, why would people care? But you also think, isn't it wonderful that they do? Um, I guess that started when I was on Good Morning uh, TV, and at the end of the first year of that, uh, me and my wife and a friend of ours were standing in Lambton Key, and a woman came up to me, and I don't think she's here, but so I can say this, she looked really nervous and said, can I ask you a question? And I thought, I really wasn't following the signs, and I thought she was going to say, you know, why are there so many traffic lights in Wellington, or I'm from or, you know, where, where is the nearest, you know, cafe, whatever. And I said, yeah, sure, sure. And then she got more and more nervous, and she goes, thinking about buying a CD for my husband and my wife and her friend just started laughing and walked off because they had seen this unfolding and I just had it and so I had this nice chat to this person and recommended some things and then she left and, and Katie and my, our friend Sarah were just like that is you know that is hilarious and uh, I said I don't, I don't really know why that happened or how that happened and they were like well it's happened because you're on Good Morning TV and I was like oh yeah I guess so and I, I really it was it was like that I really didn't click to it but 
flash forward a year or two later and when your face is on a stuff, <laughs> the national website really at the time where people got their news, whatever you think of stuff, and I certainly think they were awful. Um, now, uh, um, you know, then that still it has that visibility, you can't hide from it. Um, so I started getting asked stuff all the time, I started getting asked questions about things, people had a real ownership on, you know, when are you going to write about this, why are you going to, you know, why have you written about that? It wasn't just confined to the comments section. The comment section was its whole other thing altogether. Um, the comment section of the stuff blogs used to be moderated. They did try to, and then I think like any cutback in journalism that came, became very expensive to pay for people to sit in the weekend and moderate com comments. So the comments got worse, and then the comments disappeared. And most websites and blogs to this day now have decided to do away with comments. It's the smartest thing to do. I did away with comments on my own site, I can't remember when, but basically in line with, with things like the spin-off doing away with them. It wasn't, I mean it was just me moderating them and I didn't get that many that I couldn't, and I let them all go up, but I just thought this seems to be a trend. I liked it too, getting rid of them after a while too, because it forced people to to interact with the article rather than just leave what they think is their smart, pithy comment without reading it. Like. And, um, and the other thing that happened was the big integration of social media. So you share your blog on Facebook and then the conversation erupts on Facebook mm -hmm. and the people that are having the conversation on the blog is suddenly the splintered audience where this faithful audience that are on the blog aren't hearing the comments or are copying and pasting their comment from there and putting it on Facebook. So suddenly you're making a whole lot of work for everyone else, not just for yourself, it seems silly. So I did the blog for stuff from 2007 until 2016, uh, 2015 I think. I got cancelled by Robbie Williams basically. I wrote a review of a Robbie Williams concert and he was very unhappy with me. He got someone to read it to him I think, um, I imagine, um, and he got very upset and, um, and it made uh, news around the world actually and I got asked to comment on all sorts of things from uh, regular TV and radio through to uh, stuff. Stuff wanted me to uh, be interviewed about it. And I had to say to the arts editor of stuff, I write for you five times a day. If I wanted to write about Robbie Williams, I would just do it. I would just do it as part of my blog. So I think the fact that I haven't done that suggests I don't really want to talk about it. What do you think? And she said, well, we'd love to have a piece of content from you about it. And I said, cool, I'll do that tomorrow. And then I just sent in a record review of Warren's Evil or something, you know, just completely ignored it. Because there was a really interesting line of like, I've given a lot about myself and my family over the years, but when someone else had given a whole lot of stuff about myself and my family, I don't know if you need the full context for this or if you want to, but I'm happy to give it to you. But anyway, um, yeah, basically, that was a line I had to draw where I was like, well, I won't comment on this. I mean, my, my wife got very upset about that. So that was the moment that I realised, oh, yeah, this little rinky-dink hobby of mine that pays a little bit of beer money from time to time has, has a weird impact. Outside of that, it's mostly been really, really good. <laughs> it's been really good. I started my own website in 2012, called that Off The Tracks, because I had blog on the tracks, and I thought Off The Tracks will be... Um, my home for anything else and I won't do daily blogs on off the tracks I will write record reviews on there and I will write book reviews on there and then I don't know how this happened
but I started publishing some of the poems that I wrote on there. I, I mean, I know how the poetry happened. It had always been there. I'd written poems from the age of about 12 or 13, certainly. But I think it happened because I wrote a couple that were to do with music, and I thought, these, these can be on there. This audience that has kind of grown up with me writing blogs all the time and getting in their ear or in their eyesight, um, they might like a poem about this musician. I don't know if they did, but they got it. And then I just I thought, well, why draw the line? Why not share some other poems as well? So the poems have become a feature of, for me of the website, and I put lots of poems up there, and they all sort of make it up there eventually. Um, and, I've, and I've started now, because I don't do the stuff blog anymore, um, I have started doing um, blogs about um, music again, like a daily blog. If I want to write about, this week was the 30th anniversary of a Neil Young album that I like. Now, are you going to read about that in the newspaper? Of course you're not. You're not even going to read about it in Uncut magazine because they barely publish anymore. So uh, this is an album I've loved for 30 years and it's not that well known in its catalogue. That's perfect blog opportunity for me to write something about that. And I've got some really nice feedback from people about that. That's where you find, I think that's where you find the people, you suddenly feel a little bit less alone in the world. You find people that know stuff and are interested in the same stuff as you. And that was the great thing for me about blogging was I, um, I wrote down here, um, define the topic that you are blogging, but don't let it define you. And I think that was my goal. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, I would have had to scratch the second bit of that out because I got known as a music blogger. But I'm constantly trying to write about different things on my site as well, but keep the music stuff going. So I will write about a lot more about films these days, a lot more about books, and then I'll occasionally do things like little travel diaries, like a couple of times the family's been to America, I'll share photographs and do things like that and write more that way. So it's become a bit of a personal journal. But yeah, the only time I really ever questioned the sharing of, of personal life was around that Robbie Williams thing. I kind of had to just draw it in. Um, the good news is there's a poem about it in my upcoming poetry book, so <laughs> the Statue of Limitations has, uh, has passed on that, and I feel very good about A, slipping that plug in, um, and B, the fact that the, uh, that the, the poem exists and the whole story um, exists in the, in the frame of that poem, really. Um, can you tell us a little bit of the context of that Robbie Williams? Yeah, sure. I went to Robbie Williams because no other person, everyone else knew that it would be terrible. And so I went as a reviewer. For, I mean, no, I went as a job. I went as the reviewer for the Dominion Post. We played at the, uh, at the um, Basin Reserve and it was newsworthy because they hadn't had gigs there for a long time and he had been the first person to open the stadium, play a gig at the stadium. So he was returning for the first time. Uh, to diminishing returns audience-wise, obviously. Um, but it was still a big deal that he was a repeat customer. So I went along and went to the gig. Now, I'm, I've never been a Robert Williams fan, but I have many times in my life um, been a person who has worked in a music store. So I've listened, and I was there when, his, when he skyrocketed in fame. So I'm listening to a lot of Robbie Williams uh, music more than I ever would have wanted to, of course. Um, so I knew the stuff. And so I went, and look, I've been into a Nana Muscuri concert and not only survived it and here today, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And so I want to put that across because, like, I think it's probably less likely I would have loved Nana Muscuri than Robbie Williams. So I'm, I'm all about going and experiencing things and being blown away by them in the moment. So I went there with the idea, I actually went there a little bit excited, thinking, that would be great if he, you know, 
he seems like a bit of a cheeky chap. He might be really fun to see live. I thought he was terrible. I thought musically he was embarrassing, probably one of the worst vocalists I've ever watched live. And to top it off, he encored by doing Bohemian Rhapsody. And it's kind of like, well, you know, if you really want to prove you're a terrible vocalist, right? Sing that song, because no one, you know, why have there been not many covers of that song in this world? For a good reason. So he did that, and then, you know, when he really started struggling, just sort of hand the microphone out for the crowd to sing. Um, I wrote a review saying that he was terrible. I, I'm not about to quote the review, I can't remember it entirely, but it had some savage lines in it, which I think is allowed. Um, and they were good fun. You know, they were fun to write. I think I said, I think I said something like when he did a cover of um, Bohemian Rhapsody, it was a bit like someone sneaking into an art gallery and drawing a smile on the Mona Lisa with crayons. Something like that. So, you know, I, I thought they were quite good lines, actually. Evocative, you know, and, 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 and showed what a terrible crime had been perpetrated. Uh, so, so I handed this reviewer, uh, wrote it on the night and emailed it, and I had had 15 years of reviewing gigs, and I don't think I'd ever had an answer in an email from any of apart from occasionally, thanks. It's always a one word, you know, thanks. Occasionally it might have been, great, we'll run that tomorrow because you've got it in on time. Um, I sent an email to the person, and she wrote back and said, holy shit, <laughs> which I thought, fantastic, That's gonna, <laughs> that means it's going to play really well. It was Labour Weekend, and the review went, off because we'd already switched to a mode then where reviews actually went online before they went into the paper. So the review was up first thing in the morning and Robbie Williams fans were very angry that someone who clearly was not a fan had poked fun at their boy and um, whatever. And then Robbie Williams um, went to someone, someone got Robbie Williams to go to my website where the cover photo was me um, holding my son when he was about five months old. At a uh, at Slowboat Records at an in-store watching a performance, my wife had said that's a really lovely photo. Someone had sent it to us. You know, it wasn't a posed photo. I didn't know it happened. And my wife said that's a really lovely photo. Um, we should use that as the cover image for your website, as the banner. So I was up there for a long time, and um, he took that photo and tweeted it out to his two million followers and just wrote Simon Sweetman, baby eater, um, and. Uh, and so the thing that I found funniest about it or sad and saddest about it that I didn't comment on um, until a, a year later when I was asked to write a piece about it for the spin-off was um, in, the con in, the, in the concert he had done this big spiel about how someone had photographed his children in a park and he had gone up like a proud dad and said, don't do that or I'll take the camera off you and I'll throw it in the bin. My children are sacred. No one should share photos of people's children unless they want them to. And the crowd cheered. Now, a percentage of that crowd also retweeted his photo he stole from my website and his comment that he made about me, sadly, not winning Slimmer of the Year once again. Um, so that that uh, was a, that set off a situation where it went, it went ballistic, actually. And so my review got chopped up into several different lines and shared around the world uh, by lots of different um, sites. Um, a, lot, a lot of them enjoyed it. A lot of them were like, you know, this is what Robbie Williams reacted to and here is the actual review. And someone did a comparison of like, they 
they were like, let's count all the zingers, and they've broken down each line and, you know, given me a point for each time I've, I've said something that obviously really hurt him and stuff like that. But then they had um, somehow got the number and run the house, they're an Australian site, and they wanted to wanted me to talk to them. And so three days into it, yeah, my wife, who just needs it, I mean, apart from making it, terrible decision in life to marry me she she uh she leads a pretty quiet life and just does her work and and, and is a nice person so she found it pretty confronting to as the mother of a small child particularly you know like not only is her husband being picked on she sort of knew i could handle it and i guess that was the tricky thing was that uh someone else was being brought into it that never asked to be brought into it which which arguably is on some level is my fault if the photo was never on my site then the person couldn't grab it but that's where I really recognise that, like, man, you end up giving a lot of yourself um, in this situation without knowing it, without knowing that you're arming people for... So this went on for... I just, My thing to Katie, Katie was like, maybe we need to get a PR person, maybe we need to talk to a lawyer, and I was like, we just don't need to talk to anyone. And it'll go away in, in 48 hours. And in 72 hours, it hadn't gone away, and it got worse. And, and about... I'm not good at maths, but a day or two later... It was still raging, and I reckon it took about a week. And then, uh, and then it still comes up to this day. Actually, still, I still randomly will get sent that original tweet from a Robbie Williams fan going uh, something like, "Have you changed your opinion yet?" Or occasionally, if I'm feeling like, I go, "Yes, I have actually. I've gone out and bought all his albums. They're amazing." And then I'll just name like a Tom Waits song. And just, <laughs> my favourite song is actually this. And they'll, you know, I've even had this whole conversation with the person. Like, I haven't heard that. Did he do a cover of that? And I was like, it's really hard to find. So I had a bit of fun. I've had a bit of a fu bit of fun sometimes. But then you you wonder why you're doing that exactly. So my my main thing has been to not engage with that until a year later when the spinoff um, the spinoff was actually getting me to write a column about being. A dad for their for their parenting section that they had. I knew the editor of the parenting section. She's a good friend of mine, and she asked if I'd do it. Do it, and I thought, what a wonderful thing to do. That's not about music. That's something else. And it's they were the hardest <coughs> columns that I ever wrote. Uh, I only did about four of them, and um, they were the I, I probably took the most uh, pleasure from feeling like I was finished with them. Uh, one of them ended up in, it's Emily Wrights, she's quite a well-known um, activist and writer and, and blogger, and uh, she published a collection of the columns, and one of them that I wrote um, is, in that, is in that book, so that was a really cool, proud moment for that to be in there. But one of the columns I did was the impact of the Robbie Williams concert on me and my wife as a parent, and I, I, basically that's really what got me fired from stuff, was writing that column, stuff... Uh, felt very uh, upset that I had given the scoop roughly 13 months later um, to another organisation and um, fired me via email uh, after about 16 years of service to them. So, um, yeah, that was, was the end of that. Lots of time to concentrate on my blog, which was great. Um, and so the last few years have been focused on off the tracks and trying to develop more things out of that and I guess the big thing in the last five years has been uh, doing a weekly podcast and so I interview um, writers, musicians, um, artists, filmmakers, anyone who's doing something creative that I'm interested in in general. There are a couple of people here that I've actually talked to for that podcast so that's pretty cool. Um, I do one every week, it's called Sweetman Podcast, it's on the Off The Track site and it's wherever you get podcasts. 
I never thought that I would sit and have lunch with Suzanne Vega and have her on my podcast. So some pretty cool things have happened from it. The first cool thing was for me was going to uh, Melbourne. Uh, well, I should say I was going to Melbourne anyway. But when I got to Melbourne after months of arranging it, I sat in the room with Phil Judd, who uh, made the greatest album to ever come out of New Zealand, in my opinion, Mutual Notes by Split Ends. And, and he also just happened to write a little pop song that you might know called Counting the Beat um, and is, is very reclusive and doesn't give interviews and I have, have for t really for about 15 years built a relationship with him where I've had a few interviews with him including this one on the podcast that I did now about three or four years ago which is probably the single greatest thing I feel like I've done in terms of journalism I just and, and in terms of uh, feeling like I was a journalist a broadcaster I felt like my own producer I spent the day having to reassure him that A, we would have a good chat and people would like it, and that B, if he really didn't want to do it, and I just left Melbourne having met him for the day and had lunch with him, I was super okay with that in the background going, fuck, please no, do the thing. But also, honestly, I, the, this guy's nerves around doing this were unbelievable, to the point where as a, I think, 60-year-old man he was at the time, um, or 62 or so, saying to me, would it, would it be all right if I have a beer while we do this chat? Yeah, sure. He's like, will you, will you have a beer with me? Yeah, of course, I'm on holiday, so I'll have a beer. I've only got two, they're in the fridge. Is it all right if we if we sit and have these two beers together and then I'll pretend that the tape recorder's not on? Not only is that okay, Phil, we can just go and have the chat with the beers and I can show you that the batteries have been taken out and the tape recorder's not on. And this went on, this tennis match went on for hours. And then I recorded the interview for about a, one hour talking to him. And I walked out of his house, he lives in a pretty remote location, I don't know Melbourne very well, but he lives quite far out. I've got a taxi out there. And I ordered a taxi to get back in. And I felt like sort of, you know, punching the roof of the taxi, I just felt like um, I was on a cloud nine really. And that earned me no money. Um, and will, will earn me no money. Um, and it might have earned me an angry email from Phil, it could have, it didn't, it actually the opposite, he was chuffed because people from his past wrote to him and said how wonderful it was to hear his voice in the world again. Um, so I really enjoyed that because that's been a chance to, much as I'm just talking non-stop to you as I do, that's been a chance for me to really get into sharing other people's voices, which uh, has always been part of my blogging. I've always done guest blogs, I've always asked people to contribute something, I've always entertained it when someone writes to me and says, you know, I've got an idea. I can't be bothered doing a blog, hosting a, a blog. I've only got one story. Will you publish it? Absolutely. I'll have a read of it and I'll share it. And, um, and then actually going to people and saying, hey, why don't you write about the time that, you know, you did this? Or, or why don't you tell me about your five favourite albums and you write about it from your point of view? And so I'll always do that and have always done that. But moving into the podcast has allowed me to to, to more um, overtly share other people's voices. And I guess probably share how much of a fan I am of stuff, not just music, writing, writers, filmmakers, and how interesting it is to talk to people, how interesting it is to get someone's story and, and find out about the things that they have done. Um, I take it as a massive badge of honour when I do a, two podcasts in a row featuring me talking with poets and I get a reply from a long-term listener that says, I made it through both of those. It scared me that they were poets, back to back, 
what are you trying to do to us? But I listened to them, and they were great. And it was like, well, of course they're great. These were conversations with Ben Brown and Rachel McAlpine. How could they not be great? But that's a valid thing for a person to say. You know, poetry is damn near as scary as jazz. Um, and I love jazz, and I love, <laughs> and I love scaring people about that stuff. But So that, that's been the thing. I've kept that going. Uh, for the last five years, every week, apart from during the lockdown, I decided to not go down the path of doing Zooms and stuff. And during the lockdown, I, I kept writing. I kept putting things out into the world. And um, a couple of times, people would, would would put on Facebook posts, no one cares about this. Everyone cares about the daily updates. Everyone's worried about this. And then I would just leave it. Someone would write underneath, actually, the chance to read about something else is really nice. And... Um, most of those conversations that people end up having and that you end up being a bit of a conduit for one way or another, they're quite healthy. They, they, there's a little bit of name calling can sometimes enter into it and that's ugly. But for the most part, I'm talking on my page 90% of the time, I just go, man, how cool is it that there are people as mental as me when it comes to loving stuff? Like there are people that are as passionate about this stuff as I am. So I reckon you can write a blog now that just exists on Facebook. I don't think you need a website. I don't think you need a blogging platform. I think, I know of some examples of it where people, there's a guy I know, um, and I'll, I'll tell you his name, you can look him up. He's, he's not anybody, he's not a famous person. His name's Alan Stewart. I don't know, some of you might know him. He's just a guy who's lived in Wellington for a long time. He was one of the first people I interviewed for my podcast. I think he was episode number 10, and I've done over 200. Um, I, I knew he was a smart guy and he was into music, but what I loved about what he did was he wrote 50 and 100 word capsule reviews of albums he was listening to and concerts he'd been to and particularly films he was watching. Just as you would say on your Facebook page, oh, stink, it's raining today. He would, his, his status update would be, you know, we re-watched the 1992 Dracula. It's held up very well, blah, 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 blah. Or, I have just listened to Keith Jarrett for the first time in 35 years, my wife is in tears, she has never listened to him, you know, it's not too late for either of us. And the stuff is beautiful, and he's giving a lot of himself doing that, and I sometimes have a go at doing that myself, I sometimes think, well my Facebook page today is just going to be a photograph of something, and I'm going to write, I'm not going to post it as an article, I'm not going to, it's not going to exist anywhere else, it's just going to be in this moment, and it's going to be 50 words or 100 words. And I feel like that sort of microblogging is as valid now as uh, as wasting your time doing doing, uh, you know, because I've done a three thousand word interview with Sonny Rollins, and it's been one of the most important things I've ever done. And the first comment on it was too long, didn't read, and uh, <laughs> and I thought that was one. I thought that was wonderful. I just thought that was so funny because that says more about that person than than Sonny Rollins or me, but. It's kind of valid too, if that's what the person wants to put out in the world. And I just think that's so funny. But I could write 200 words saying that I think, or I could write 50 words or less comparing Aldous Harding to a goat singing, which I did. And, <laughs> and um, I posted a video of goats on YouTube shrieking and just wrote, and literally just wrote, everyone loves the new Aldous Harding album. I just, I just hear this and embedded a video clip of goats. And, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that. Like, that, that, that um, upset a few people, and a lot of people got very angry about that. But I thought it was funny and, and valid, frankly. Um, 
but that got way more engagement and and took me far less time than interviewing a, a living legend who has just turned 90 um, and is still making music and still alive and and told me over the phone about doing heroin with Miles Davis which is not a good thing to do but if you are going to do heroin folks you know who would you do it with I'm not, I'm not advocating for drugs but if you can say in your story well, I needed heroin once but it was with Miles Davis I mean that's a king making story right <laughs> like, and so he, he had what I'm getting at is he had stories you cannot get from anyone else and you can't believe you are hearing them I just about put the phone down I just about fell over like I've been knocked in the face it's like what happened I just spent 90 minutes talking to a guy I've been listening to since I was 12 years old that plays a saxophone better than anyone how, how has this happened so my life's been like that. It's never been like, why am I not getting paid 500 bucks to do this or $1,000 to do this or $80 to do this? It's like, how has this happened? And it's happened because it's been foremost in my mind since I was about eight or nine years old that music and books and movies mean as much to me as anything else just about going. And that when I want to concentrate on them, that's, what they, that's what's important about them. But that I will always sort of go over to, you know, important family time and stuff like that. Or not my phone. I think my phone's actually on. No, I did turn it off. For example, like when I when I when I turn my phone off, it's off. When I um, am not looking at my phone, I'm not looking at my phone. But I, I wrote down that um, if you are experiencing a moment and you are thinking about the blog that you will write, then you're not actually experiencing the moment. You know, and that's been a thing that I've had to think about a lot. A couple of times I've caught myself going, I'm also making a good blog. And I think, well, that's the, and I think in some way that's a, a thing that all writers wrestle with. Like, you know, writers have to work from memory a lot. And so you can't really go out and manufacture what's going to become a good memory. You shouldn't. But it's good to be aware of it, absolutely, to be aware at the time. My thing has always been like, People have said, how do you come up with a topic every day? And it's like, well, you know, is the internet finished? Did anyone read the dictionary in its entirety? Like, this stuff is, this stuff is infinite. Like, how can you not, how can you restrict yourself to just a single topic in a day? And I try to do that thing where sometimes, you know, when you read a poem and it's about one thing, but actually it's not. It's very secretly and cleverly about something else altogether. Well, I'm terrible at that. My poems generally are like, they tell you in the title what they're going to be about and they roll through and that's what they're about. But some of my blogs, hit posts, have actually um, been led you to believe they're about one thing and they're actually about another altogether. I wrote a blog post that I loved very much many years ago about Billy Holiday because I love Billy Holiday. But actually it was a blog post about what a wonderful writer Lindsay Rabbit is and how um, something that Lindsay Rabbit had written about Billy Holiday had pretty much moved me to tears on a level that really only her voice does, and it was this perf perfect synchronization. <coughs> I wrote a blog about five years ago and repurposed it just recently and reshared it. In fact, I think I turned it into a poem even about Peter Gabriel. And you might believe, reading it, that it's about Peter Gabriel and that it's about the song Don't Give Up. But it's actually about artistic grit. And it's actually about the fascinating thing that happened and how I listened to the song completely differently when I found out that Peter Gabriel wrote that song not wanting Kate Bush to sing it with him, but wanting Dolly Parton to sing it with him. Mm -hmm. And how just thinking about that, and there is no version of it that I know of, she turned him down for whatever reason, 
and what a handy replacement to have in your back pocket. Oh, we'll just get Kate Bush. <laughs> that's quite good, because they were, they were friends that had worked together um, already. Some people think of that song as being a Kate Bush song or being important because of her performance. What became important to me about that song is why had he wanted Dolly Parton to do it? And why had she not, not, not because she's not good, she's wonderful, but why had that been his focus? And why had she said no? And the closest thing I think you can get to a version of it with Dolly Parton and Peter Gabriel singing is there is a version in this world of the song Don't Give Up that's covered by Willie Nelson and Sinead O'Connor. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't heard that, write that down or mm -hmm. commit that to your memory bank and go and look that up because it's a different song altogether, yet it's completely and utterly recognisable as the song. Um, so I like doing that sort of stuff. I once wrote a blog about um, that is actually a short story that I made up completely about the idea that Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins had won an artist, a writer in residency scholarship and was stuck in a purgatory at the Hamilton Public Library. <laughs> and um, and, the, and the, the idea was that Billy Corgan couldn't relate to the people of Havelock North at all. And they couldn't relate to him. But they were really proud of the idea that a famous rock star was living there. And you might know now that Amanda Palmer, the musician, is stuck in Hawke's Bay because of the pandemic. And I feel like she's living out the story that I wrote about 10 years ago. Um, I had no purpose for this story, so I just shared it as a blog post. And the first comment on it was, question mark, question mark, question mark. Like, you know, like, what the fuck is this? We came here for music reviews. What are you doing, you idiot? And so I thought that was wonderful. Um, so, so I occasionally do things like that. I occasionally like to mix it up and do different things. I think if you just published a review or a comment on an album every day or a gig, it would be very boring. But if you can do a nice little surprise and have someone thinking, you know, what are you on about? Like, why did you, why did you want to do that? I think for me, um, the concern that comes with the title of blogging is, the, is that idea that someone thinks that you must know something. And it's like, I'm actually writing to find out. That's why I've been writing. Not because I know, I mean, I do know something. I know, I know that I'm an expert in my own opinion. I know that. But what, what am I going to do with that? I'm writing to find out. I'm writing to know things. I am writing to share um, what I know and, and to share of myself. And I'm writing because I, I dare to. And, you know, if, if I don't do it, then it won't happen. And it's really that simple. Simon, so, do you ever question your opinion? Do you ever think? I, I feel like the answer is no. Well, I am like, now. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mary. <laughs> as, you, as you write, before mm. you do the first mm. thing, mm. sometimes do you think, do I or should I? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not enough, according to my wife. <laughs> um, you know, you really shouldn't have said that. It used to be the hot dinner topic. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I do sometimes. And I think that, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on was the idea that it's really cool to admit when you're wrong. It's really cool to republish, to rework, to revise, to, to reshape. And I, the number one question I have pretty much always been asked when I have talked to anyone about any kind of writing to do with reviewing, uh, which is essentially where it's all stemmed from for me. You know, blogging has been an extension of reviewing for me. Um, has always been, you know, What's an example of an album you hated when you first heard it and you, and you said bad things about it but now you really like it? Or the reverse, what's an album you raved about? And it's, it's far more common that you rave about things in the moment and then you revisit them and go, oh, so what? You know, that's actually not that, it's not terrible but it's not that flash. That record that I just said was probably going to be one of the albums of the year. I don't remember listening to it now. 
So there's a bit of that. Um, I can't give a good example of, I can never give a good example of, of something happening the other way. The, the best example I can give at the moment of not getting something wrong, but being not interested in something at all and thinking it had nothing to offer and then changing my opinion on that just recently would be some of the work of Lana Del Rey. I have been really uninterested in her and thought she was borderline not valid. I really didn't like her albums. I thought she, what she was giving the world uh, to me had been done before and it seemed like it was fake. And then I heard her album that she released late last year and I thought that it was wonderful. I think the writing is there more than it's ever been. I think she's an amazing example of like a modern day torch ballad singer with incredible writing. You, the, her lyrics now feel like they could be short stories. And I thought it was so poetic. And then just a couple of months ago, she there was news that she's releasing a book of poetry. They're, they're not lyrics, they're actual poems that she's written. And the book is due out any day now. Um, I think maybe next month actually. But you can get the book as an audio book. She's released it as an audio book first. And so it's on Audible. So I did the free Audible trial and stayed on there for just long enough before I disappeared and took, took my credit card number back. But I did listen to the album a bunch, the spoken word album, and that's wonderful too. So I've become a convert to this woman who I think had released four albums that I really didn't like and had made myself listen to. Actually, but, but the thing is, I think sometimes there was always something there that I was trying to find. You know, it's very, the things that you just dismiss and go, that's not for me. I'm not the target market for that, that's fine. It's always interesting the things where you're like, why don't I like this? You know, it's a, it becomes a very fine line. Why don't I like this? Why do I keep listening to this if I don't like it? Maybe I do like it and I just can't work out why. That becomes a very interesting thing. I think she's always been in that camp for me. I could never quite just dismiss her. Um, but I did, a couple of times, write negative reviews of her albums. And... Um, she has the craziest fans in the world because I was on a school trip a couple of, about a month ago and my phone dinged in my pocket and the kids were running around because it was lunchtime and I thought, well, okay, I'll catch up on these dings in my phone. It's been going heaps, what's happening? And it was a bunch of angry Lana Del Rey fans telling me off about a review I wrote. And I thought, I haven't reviewed her for years. And I clicked on one of them and shared the link and I had written about her album in 2010. And people in July of 2020 were yelling at me about it. So I don't take anything from that beyond the idea that, um, you know, we're no longer writing tomorrow's fish and chip paper. Like, you know, that used to be the, the saying in the case with, with newspaper reviews, and that used to be very much true. But you write this stuff and you put it out in the world and you forget about it and move on, which you should. But people find it when they want to. And that has both really good and really potentially quite bad the thing that's bad about it is if you want to be that person, you can lose a day to answering people on social media. And I just won't do that anymore. I have. I have occasionally. And I definitely, I think the Robbie Williams thing was probably a real turning point in that. Of just These people are angry and crazy on a level that you can't ever... Because I've always been really interested and open to the idea of uh, stating my case to people. I've had people come up to me in public. I'm, I've had... The best thing that's happened to me, not once but twice, is I've been introduced to a person in a gig and they've sh started shaking my hand and they, they said, oh, this is my friend Simon, and they've started shaking my hand. And then I felt the hand slip away as they've said to my face, you're not Simon Sweetman, are you? And I felt the hand 
slip away. So I sort of held on to it, sort of kept shaking it like a little doily and said, yes, you know, yes I am, it's really nice to meet you. Or I've let them pull, pull the hand away, and I've, but I've chatted to them. And I think in some sense I've won them over eventually through meeting them because I'm not an asshole. But the thing that I've written might have made them think in that moment and maybe for several moments that I am. And probably I was. And I've always been quite open about that. But my passion for it has always been you have to be open to exploring all avenues of things. And you have to let people know what things bug you, not just what you love. And in saying that, if anyone came here for some tips on a blog idea they thought they had and wanted to do, if your blog is just sharing happy things in the world, now's a really good time to be doing that. So I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Now, now's an excellent time to be doing that. People need um, nice things and they need to be reminded of nice things. But my process has always been around like everything that I explore. And I'm fascinated by terrible things in pop culture. I'm watching a lot of horror movies at the moment. I guess I always have. But I'm watching a lot of horror movies at the moment. And my wife walks in and out of the room and just looks at the screen and just basically shakes her head and walks out. You know, like, there's just nothing said. Like, why? And, and I guess what she's saying is, this is awful and you kind of are too. Um, <laughs> or why are you bothering is the, basically the thing. But it's like... I'm preparing myself for when I watch that horror film that is either, you know, the original Exorcist again, or something brand new, like what was that great? I've forgotten the title, but that Korean film that everyone loved that came out this year that isn't really a horror film, but it's Parasite. Yeah, Parasite. And I saw the black and white version of that in the movie theater, and it was amazing. And I'm already thinking, even though I've got the title, then I'm already thinking about how I'd like to see that again. And how I consider that a horror film, absolutely, it's an existential horror film. And um, my preparation for being excited about things like that is watching a 46-minute movie called Carpenter, spelled with a K, about a guy that just walks around with an axe and slices people up and you never quite know why. And it looks like it was filmed in a weekend by people that do actually have day jobs and should have stuck to those. But I took some sort of excitement factor from seeing it. I think part of, part of me goes, a little bit of me goes, well, I've never made a movie and I probably wouldn't do a good job, but it might be better than that. Maybe part of it's that, but it's more the idea that of creating these levels for yourself, these benchmarks like yours. I don't want to um, roast Nick Bollinger at all. I know Nick Bollinger, I think he's fantastic, and I think he probably really is the country's best or certainly most dependable music reviewer over a long stretch of time. And I considered for a long time Nick to be one of my heroes. Having said all that, if I did want to say one thing about him that doesn't sit all that well with me, and I've told him this to his face, and we had we were interviewed on stage together in Napier a couple of years ago, and I talked about this, as no one knows what Nick doesn't like, and I don't like that myself, because it makes me not trust his recommendations, because it makes me feel like his recommendations are still in some way tied to marketing, and, uh, you know, Pauline Kale the famous film critic said that the review is the only true and honest source, everything else is marketing. And I think sometimes reviews are massively tied to marketing. And uh, probably why uh, my career has gone the way of inverted commas uh, is because I, I probably could have made a few more concessions to that, but I didn't want it. Like, I, didn't, I, did, I, I want the stuff that I write to 
you know, it's not always going to be good, but it's always going to be true. It's always going to come true from where I'm from. Um, I feel like I've meandered for a long, long time. So uh, I can leave it there, and you can ask me questions if you want to, and if you just want to run. I totally understand that. But your question might prompt an angle that I should have covered and didn't, or your question might be about something else entirely, and I'm fine with either of those things. Do you have to be on all levels of social media, i.e. Facebook, mm. Insta, mm. Twit, Twit, mm. Twat, to make a successful blog, or can you get away with just starting a website and going for it? You need to be on something, and I think my advice would be you choose the thing that you're happiest with being on, and you focus your energy there. I'm, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, I was slow to move on Instagram. I don't really... I don't really do much that really publicises my work on Instagram a little bit. I took a photo of my name card today when I came in here and shared that and said that I was here. So of course I'll do things like that. But I mostly <coughs> photograph road cones and put those up on Instagram because I like them. Um, and I also well, no, it's true, I share all the I share album covers and movie titles and <coughs> things like that. But I don't share pieces of writing on Insta. And I've never been a big person on Twitter, I've got an account, and if you went and looked at my account, you would see like hundreds of thousands of tweets. But I guess for a while, I was sharing the stuff that I was listening to. I saw that as an important thing. My medium's been Facebook. It's good for me. I like it. It's obviously I'm conflicted by it. I feel like um, I've given myself over to something that's got far more control of me. I watched that Social Dilemma movie on Netflix last night, which is exactly about this, and I recommend that. It's a very good thing to watch, and I'll probably watch it again. It won't make me um, delete my Facebook account, just as one of the people that's interviewed in that is a guy called Jaron Lanier, and I read his book, 10 Reasons to Delete Your Social Media, and it's a fantastic book, and I didn't delete any of my social media as a result, but I would recommend that book. It did give me things to think about. So I guess the answer is pick, pick the one that you're going to be best at and it's going to work best for you and do that. I, I, I hate seeing those placeholder ones though. You go to a, a person or a company and they've set up Twitter and they've left it there and they just don't do anything. I think you've got to have some presence on all of them. If you're going to, if you're going to use more than one, you've got to have a presence on it. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, no one has the answers anymore with that stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's probably a silly question. Um, I'm not very clever on the computer. Well, there are a few things you can do there. You can make your posts on Facebook public, and so anyone can get to them if they might search a particular thing of interest. I think you could also test the waters by just putting up a couple of posts on your Facebook page and seeing if that's something you want to do and judging. I mean, your, your friends are going to give you friend feedback. They're going to tell you it's great, and that's quite good, and it might, it might not be wrong, um, but they're not going to give you true, honest feedback, hey Mike, we're just talking about that. The friend feedback is great. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you could set up a WordPress site with all the skill that you took to set up your Facebook account. So you could do that and publish posts on a WordPress site, which is essentially a blogging site. 
or something like that. So you could could do that. You could do that. Um, it isn't that that tricky. And I know I've never been very good with computers. You know, I, I do know how to manage my site, um, but I've been doing it for ten years, and I've been writing for twenty odd years, and I know how to pump out content. So those things. I sort of have become hardwired, but I'm not great with computers. Mm. Which gets so more interesting. You can do a separate public page. Yeah. So you could, yeah. Um, you could call it your blogging page. Yeah, you could come yeah, up with a title. Page, yeah. uh, you could come up with a title for what your thing's going to be about or whatever and create right. that as a Facebook page. So you set up a completely different Yeah, yeah set up a page. Yeah. It's called yeah. a page, it's not a personal one. Yeah. So if I, for instance, have Simon Sweetman on Facebook. And mm. You know, people can add me as their friend, and they do. But I also have off the tracks as a Facebook page, and everything. I mean, I do share the blogs that I write on both pages because some people who are family and friends want to check that stuff out, but they they don't. Just off the tracks is a very musicy driven page. So much so that if I'll sh I even if I share a podcast on off the tracks that I have done, and it's about a poet, I will get a message from someone every week that goes, hey, this isn't about music. <laughs> and I was like, well, it, it is actually. It's, it's, it's me and Ben Brown, and we're talking, and he's very musical. Um, just listen to him. But also, we talk about a whole bunch of music as part of the conversation, so it is. But I just say, I just write back and say to people, oh, I just share all my podcast episodes here. If you don't like them, don't click on them. That's cool. Um, so you're always going to get someone um, nitpick you on something, and that's fine. Yeah, your website. So yeah. which now, now you've yeah. been known, yeah. which gets more traffic, your website or your um, face? Yeah, good Go question. I, I mean, I don't follow the Facebook stats that closely. I mean, I've got a lot of followers on Facebook. Uh, I, think, I think the page has got about 15,000 followers or so, um, 12 or 15,000, and the various social accounts. And I do, I do get the... Um, Statistics and I skim over them, but I don't really care for them that much. Um, I do get the, I mean, it, the page ends up getting the hits because the page gets shared on Facebook, and so people go to the page. Oh, I see. So people I, go to your website. I share the link on Facebook, yeah. and people generally will, will look at that. So, you know, it's inter interesting though. Like the poems, I write poems. I put them on my page. I share them. You learn all these different things with Facebook. I, if you really want your stuff to get read. Put a picture up and write the text underneath. Mm -hmm. So I write um, a review of an album, and I, my process now is: I sh as soon as I've done it, I share the. And I didn't get up early enough to do one today, so it's eating at me that I haven't done content because I drove up from Wellington. I got up at six thirty. I drove up here to be here early. So I heard there were heaps of traffic lights, but there aren't. Um, <laughs> I was worried about that. I don't want to be late. Um, so. I'll go home and I'll write some content today. I'll, you know, I'll probably write about how well this went and what an amazing audience it was. So I'll write about that, or I'll at least be able to say one of those things. Um, and uh, I'll let you guess. Um, and uh, and anyway, so when I do that, I will share that straight away. So later today, whatever I write, we'll go. I'll put it on Facebook. If it's a review, it won't get looked at by many people. Uh, and then in about two days' time, I will take the album cover of that review and I will put that up on the Facebook page. And I, in the text underneath, I will share everything that I wrote in the review as a photo comment. And then in the comment underneath that, I'll put the link to the website to remind people it came from my website. 
but then we'll get far more engagement, yeah. massively. And it'll get all the comments, it'll get more likes, and it'll get shared. And it'll get a whole lot of people go, wow, I didn't know you knew about this. And it's like, not only do I know about it, I knew about it two days ago. <laughs> you know, I would never say that, but you know what I mean? It's like, so you can't, that's fine. So you just learn to work with. And so the same thing with the poems that I write and post on my page, unless it has a particularly out there or provocative title, um, I will share the poem as a link and it will get no interest whatsoever. But then a couple of days later, or maybe a month later, I will share it as a Facebook status. I will just go, these are the words of this poem, and I'm sharing them. And it will get, well, a book deal. Um, no, you know, like it will get interest. It will get, it will get interest. In my case, I've got a book coming out next month. And, and um, the, many of the poems started their life in some way on Off the Tracks or on Facebook or both. And um, they will be in the Book of Poems. And the Book of Poems, thank you for asking, is called um, The Death of Music Journalism, just to keep things nicely integrated. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's that. Yeah. Yep. Do you have a big discrepancy between the number of subscribers to your uh, WordPress site and the number of 15,000 on Facebook? I don't know. I don't. I don't. There are people that just live there, I haven't really thought about it either, but I know, just sort of anecdotally, that there are people that, one of the funny things we have, you know you know how people who are scared, and I don't want to get too political, but you know how people who are scared about being microchipped by the government will often voice that on a message from their phone that's actually in their pocket microchipping them. Yeah, yeah. So, so, much like that, Lots of people have an energy around how they will not subscribe to your personal site because they don't want to give you that loyalty, but they are very interested in, a, in a supporting you on Facebook. And to me, it seems like, like okay, that, if that's where they've heard about you and that's where they can access you, fine. But the safer thing would actually be to do the opposite. So, again, I've just never been too tied up in that stuff. I don't know the answers. I, for years, I've had people say, I love your work, rah, 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 I love your work, and then you share it with something, and they go, oh, you've got a website too. And it's like, all of this, you know, I don't care, I think that's funny. All of this stuff is coming from there. That's where it comes from. Or, or I love your website, I read it all the time. How do I access your podcast? Well, if you read it all the time, you'll see that every week it's there. But you, you never want to get into that because suddenly you're telling the people that in some way are supporting you that they should be a bit sharper than they are. And it's like they've already re really, uh, reached kind of hero status in my life because they've heard of me and they like something I do. So they're, they're like, you know, or they'll, or they'll put up with me talking at them for 90 minutes. They're instantly the greatest people in the world. Um, yeah. Anything else? Is that it? Oh, yeah? Um, I just thought it was really fascinating how you're talking about um, the separation of the person from their art. So you were writing as your art, and mm. then um, you had that horrible experience that mm. you needed to bring yourself out of the art. Mm. And I was also wondering in terms of the artists that you write about, when you're conscious of how that blues or how... So I was just specifically interested in that because you Yes. Which I think was my big problem with her actually. That's right. So she, she her name's Lizzie Grant. Yeah. yeah, she released an album under the name Lizzie Grant and I'm old enough in and particularly in the context of the music reviewing game to have actually reviewed that album and found it to be pretty pedestrian and underwhelming, just sort of bog standard acoustic guitar 
female singer-songwriter stuff. Now, if you're putting an album out in this world, that's one of the worst reviews you can ever get, by the way, like just being called boring. So then when she represented herself as this heavily curated Lana Del Rey figure, I went, she's not even real, rah, rah, rah. And then a whole lot of people said to me, well, Bob Dylan's actually called Robert Zimmerman. And it's like, I know, this blog's actually called Blog on the Tracks. There's a clue there that I know something about Bob Dylan. And again, suddenly we're all yelling at each other about things we don't need to be yelling about. Um, yeah, it's it, look, it's tricky that the number one, the number one thing, or number two thing, I should say number two because of what it signifies. The number two thing that is always said about me and to me is how mean you have been about that person. And I said, well, I haven't. I've been very mean about their Thank terrible, you. appalling, shitty, god awful, dumb art. Their album sucks. Their books crap. But I'd love to have dinner with them. That's just probably not going to happen now. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's sort of where it's at. But I get that that's a really hard thing, and we live in a small country, so it's been a real, um, I don't know what the word is, hindrance, handicap to me that I have developed a thick skin and operated in that environment. Because I, I've just never wanted to be part of the industry as such. I've just wanted to, and not in any renegade way, it's like I'm just very passionate about sharing things that I'm into and learning about stuff from people and I mean I've never learned more about music ever than in the time I've been blogging but when I wrote reviews I thought I knew a whole bunch of stuff about music and I did and I continue to learn more because I've always been a very very big reader and I've always read a lot about music um, and I think if you're if you're any sort of writer and you're not reading then you're not any sort of writer frankly like mm. Yes, you know, people who say, oh, I don't have time for reading, I'm too busy writing. It's like, well, then you're too busy being a shit writer. <laughs> Frankly, who I'm not interested in, you need to make some time, you need to make some time to read. Um, so I, did, I was going to say earlier, like, if you're looking, if you're starting a blog, what's the hardest thing about starting a blog? It's not starting a blog, it's keeping a blog going. So the, what's the best thing you can do? Always have a book on the go, because what does a book do? Not only do you learn from it and feel comfort from it, but it gives you something to write about. Just writing three lines going to the world, hey, look, I mean, look, I came here today, look at, look at what a dickhead I am, I came here today to have this chat with you guys, and I brought three books with me, and I'm going to get here, I'm going to get here, and I'm going to, I'm going to leave here, and I'm going to drive home, and I'm, I'm a good driver, so I'm not going to read while I drive, um, but just in case something happened, um, in fact, I bought, and I'm going to lose the room now, because I bought three books and a Kindle, so I bought about 8,000 books. <laughs> so, my Kindle's just always in my bag, my books. I've got Pocket Blues by Bob Gorky, who's a New York poet, he sent me that book this week, so I haven't even started that. I've got I Am a Human Being by Jackson Newland. they're a wonderful poet, which I, and I've nearly finished that, so that's part of the reason I bought another book. And I am reading this, which is pretty cool, and actually this is a pretty good thing that's relevant. This is, um, how do you say his name, Chuck Palana, he wrote um, Fight Club. And um, this, book is, this book is called Consider This Moments in My Writing Life After Which Everything Was Different. So this is like a writing memoir, and it's brand new. I got this from the J. Law Library, and I nearly finished this too. And he has some excellent writing tips about, about creative writing. He talks a lot about how to build characters and stuff. And I don't like, I got it because I have been, um, you know, a little bit of a fan of some of his work, and then I got very bored by him. But I thought, man, he's really successful, and he's got a really singular voice. It'd be really interesting to hear what his tips are and how he's, and he's a very wise speaker about writing. He uses a lot of examples from classic novels, and then he also uses a lot of examples, which I love from films, and talks about how if you're a, if you're a writer of fiction, watching films is a fantastic thing to do, because... What's his name? 
His name, uh, well, his name, I'm going to spell it for you because his name, I've heard his name pronounced so many different ways. Chuck, I know that bit, that's easy, but that's C-H-U-C-K, as we've always known. But his surname is, uh, I think it's Palanik, is how it's actually said, but I've heard people say Palanik and Paluniak, and, but it's P-A-L-A, and then it's, this is a tricky bit, H-N-I-U-K. So that's where things get a little bit like, oh, how do we say this bit? Imagine having to bring him on as a speaker. Hey, everyone, it's Chuck Pala. You know, they would just wander off a bit. Like. So I bought those up, and I probably won't read any of them. But do you know, my, one of my heroes that I met in recent life is this woman who, you won't know her. She is the stepmother of my sister-in-law. And so my brother got married to this English woman, and um, the parents, her dad and her stepmom, came up to our house. And I love this story. They came up to our house in a, in a rental car and they visited my parents and us and everything like that a couple of days before the wedding. And then they went to drive off and the car overheated as soon as they turned it on and went around the turning bay at my parents' house. And my dad <coughs> sells cars or used to sell cars. So not only does that make him a villain, but he thinks he's a bit of a mechanic. So he's out there going, I could probably fix this or, or better sell you a new one. And um, <laughs> so he's doing that. And the guy, the English guy, the dad, who knows nothing, gets out, kind of kicks the tyres and pretends he's a man who knows manly things because he thinks that's what I've got to do. And the woman, the stepmom, sits in the car, leaves her seatbelt on, reaches into the glove compartment, pulls out a novel and starts reading. And I said to Katie, and Katie was like, how awesome is that? And I was like, we've had our chat with her. We're not going to see her again, you know, much. She was nice. We were nice. I love that she just thought, I'm a minus here in any other situation. I can't fix the car. I can't diagnose anything. But I can get a few pages in. And I was just like, what an, what an absolute hero of a person. Isn't that... If you, if you leave here with um, one tip, it's carry a book with you everywhere in case your car breaks down. I just think, I just, I think about that often. Isn't it a revelation, Mary, that that's not a poem uh, in my life and those sorts of poems that I write? That hasn't come up, but maybe now it will. But oh, I just think, what a hero. What an absolute inspiration. Would it, um, would it be fair to say to be a blogger, you, you need a lot of words in you? you yeah. You're gonna, most people would probably run out of time. Yeah, well, as I say, you, the hardest thing isn't starting a blog, it's carrying it on. Like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then it's also like, I guess other things come up, like knowing when to stop on a particular piece too. Like, you know, the, I, I've just always felt like, you know, the consistency is I'll turn up every day. That's the consistency. But the the variation within that is that one day, when I was doing the stuff blog, they, they wanted them to be six to 800 words. And it was just like, I'm not being hemmed by that shit. Some days I'll write, some days I'll write 300. Most days I'll write 1,500. If you're going to get 7,000 words from me, you're going to get them and you're going to publish them. And if people don't read them, they can let people know they don't by writing, you know, TL, DR, and that just makes them look like a dweeb, not me. So that's how we're going to play this game. Now, none of that was actually said, but that was sort of what was, that was sort of my attitude. But it's like, things, things find their groove. Uh, you know, people, the number one question when someone comes around for a podcast with me is, how long is this going to go for? You are going to edit it, right? And I go, yeah, we'll edit it if we need to. I always listen to the back. If one of us starts sounding really dumb, we'll edit it, make ourselves sound better. But um, mostly the idea is it's an organic conversation and they usually all line up at being between 70 and 90 minutes because we have a big chat. It's usually me. If not meeting someone for the first time, then we're certainly talking about the things we're talking about for the first time. 
But in saying that, the longest podcast ever did was three hours and ten minutes, and the shortest one was 17. So there's this wonderful range, and there's lots that are two hours and lots that are 45 minutes. And again, I like that. I like I, Somewhere in me is the idea that a person's turning up and looking at the podcast and going, hmm, I will listen to that one now because it's only 30 minutes, and I've got 30 minutes. And now the, the one thing I don't want to be in people's, and people are podcasting as a whole separate topic, but the one thing that happens with people with podcasts, and I'm obsessed with podcasts, and the only thing that's wrong with them is they eat into your reading time. That's the only thing that's wrong with them. Other than that, they're wonderful. Yeah. They're perfect. They're great for putting on headphones when you're cooking a meal or something like that. And just want information and catching up with a voice that has become your friend. And I, I walk everywhere uh, when I'm living in Wellington, when I'm in the city, I walk everywhere and I never listen to music. I always listen to podcasts. But but uh, some people go, they know that they know that Mark Maron's podcast is basically always 100 minutes. So they plan around that. Well, I love the idea that I'm kind of messing with people's planned podcast time. You know, oh, I don't have two hours to listen listen to you and Richard Langston talk non-stop at each other about poetry and music, which we did. Uh, but I do have 40 minutes to hear, to listen to Suzanne Vega because I can't believe Suzanne Vega's on a New Zealand podcast. And it's like, I did it, I can't believe that either. Um, so I like that it's making people go up and down the timeline. I, I imagine... Uh, I certainly see that because I do track who listens to what with that and what the numbers are. I track that a little bit more because that's new to me um, and interesting. And it's amazing to see what hits. The number one podcast that I've done is not Suzanne Vega in terms of uh, listenership and it's not um, any of the, really, the internationals. It's a person no one's really ever heard of. It's a woman called uh, Jana LeBlanc who lived in Wellington. She's a model. Um, and her claim to fame is, I guess, she was the fiancé of Severe Vaughan, the famous blues guitarist, and she was his fiancé when he died in a helicopter crash, and she published a book of photographs. They were going to be married, and the crazy story there was that he was going to move to Wellington, and right now he'd be like a 60-year-old man playing in blues bars in Wellington, <laughs> but he got in the wrong helicopter. And, and what's even sadder about that is he got in the helicopter and Eric Clapton didn't. Oh. No, just kidding, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, you know, but there's a little, there's a little, there's a little element of truth in that, but I, I, I met Jana once because she read a blog I did about how much I love Siri Vaughan, and she sent me this beautiful message saying, I never write back to people, I never write to people, but something about the way you capture Siri Vaughan appealed to me, and maybe it's because you live in Wellington, and that's where I was from, I'm in New York, but I'm coming over in a couple of weeks. Would you like to meet? And I was like, yeah, I'll meet you. So we had a coffee and we stayed in touch, had this nice chat, and she told me about the night that he died. And she recounted the story of everything and how she had just moved all of their stuff into a new apartment. And it was officially that they were going to be together and live together in this apartment in New York. And she was tired from moving and waiting. And then she woke up to a phone call telling her this awful news. So she told me that, and I thought, what a privilege to hear that story. What a bugger she didn't let me record it because I'm a journalist. But I also went, you know, I never would have, there's no way I would. So we stayed in touch for several years, and then she wrote to me and said, I'm actually putting a book out of photographs of me and Stevie from the time, and I'd like to send you a copy, and I'm great, and I reviewed it. And then she messaged and said, I'm actually coming back, I'm gonna be in town, um, you know, it'd be great to meet up. And I said, well, here's, here's something. You don't have to say yes, but would you like to be on the podcast? We'll, we'll plug the hell out of your book. 
and you can choose what parts of your story you tell. And man, you're an international catwalk model, so I'm interested in talking to you about that. I do not want to frame it as you are Stevie Ray Vaughan's girlfriend, uh, but whatever. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. Now, somewhere along the line, some blues guitar person has grabbed that and put that on a fan forum. And I know this because you can see where things end up. And so that went through the roof, and it's by far the most successful podcast. And so it is the Steve Ray Vaughan connection that's made that happen. But what I like is that we get this amazing story of her. She's so good at telling it, and she's built, rebuilt, you know, she, I think she was 19 when it happened. You know, he was 30-something, and she was 19. And she's rebuilt this life. She's got husband and two kids, and, very, and, and in fact has just moved to, if you all want to stalk her, she's just moved back to Auckland after years in Florida because of coronavirus. She's just got back into the country and, and just done her managed isolation. So, yeah. Amazing. Isn't it? It's fascinating. I find that stuff fascinating. So, when you have experiences like that, how to go back and, and, and pretend that I'm answering that question and that was all part of it, to how could you run out of things to write about? You know, like when you wake up in the morning and you remember that, like you might not write about that, but that's going to trigger something. You know, I seem to, because the, the only reason I know that she's in Auckland is two weeks ago it was the 30th anniversary of Steve Rayborn's death. And I wrote to her and said, hey, you know, how you doing? Um, I guess I'm, you know, I don't know how to frame it, but I basically said, you know, I guess I'm thinking of you today, how are you? And she took a few days to reply, and then she said, actually, of all the anniversaries of his passing, this was the easiest one, funnily enough, to not be too concerned about. That's because I was travelling over the international dateline. Um, me and my boys are just in our managed quarantine. We're moving back to Auckland. We're a bit embarrassed to have been in Florida for as long as we are under Trump's rule. Can't handle it. The coronavirus and his handling of that is the final straw. You know, rah, rah, rah. So come back to New Zealand. So again, like, not that I'm going to go, I'm just telling you that I'm not going to publish that, but all of these things feed into your experience. So when I need to listen to a Steve Ray Vaughan album, I have a whole, you know, it's a bit like that Peter Gabriel song, I have a whole new context for how I listen to Steve Ray Vaughan. How can I not? Hope this isn't too personal, but as a writer, what is the thing you like most about yourself and what is the thing that you dislike most about yourself? Wow. Um, <coughs> what do I like most about myself? As a writer, not as, as a writer. writer. Not as a person. Oh, God, yeah, it's not no, easy. No, uh, no. There's so much. No, no, I said it was a mean question. No, no, it wasn't a mean question. But how am going to name it just one. Um, uh, I, as a writer, I like that I turn up. You know, one of my notes that I wrote down for myself to say here, but didn't, but will now, is that there's no, I, my, my own maxim that I think I came up with, and if someone else came up with it first, that's fine. But the thing that I have always told myself is, you can't win on the internet. You know how people go, that wins the internet today? And they usually talk about a stupid meme. And in that context, they're right. And the prize is someone you don't know saying they liked your work that you stole from someone else. So that just, yeah. proves, that just proves you haven't won anything. But you can't win on the internet. All you can do is turn up. And that's sort of been my advice to myself. Like, you're not going to win, but you're going to turn up. And the prize is longevity. The prize is um, a track record. That all of this has to mean something someday. You know, that, and I have had people go and write to me most times when someone writes to me and says they like something I've said. It's usually couched in some sort of, at first you said Lana Del Rey was terrible and I disagreed. And then you had the gall to say Robbie Williams can't sing. But I found out that you like Stevie Ray Vaughan and I found out that you're a fan of horror films and I found out that you like poetry. And um, 
And this connection happens, and it's like, I think that's wonderful, because when you meet someone, you don't usually go, you look like a bit of a dick when you walked across the room, actually, but now you seem okay. But we're all thinking that sometimes. You know, you see someone, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if you could say that? But you can't. And, and, and when you write stuff, people say that about your writing, and in a way, I quite like that. So I like what I like about myself is I turn up. What I don't like about myself is I've never been able to make a full-time living or even a half-time living mm. writing. And that has always bugged me a little bit. And my answer to that, and I don't mean that in an entitled sort of we should pay writers more, you know, rah, rah, rah thing. I'm just sort of like, what am I going to do? I've shared my whole life with people forever. I've worked my ass off. And I've also suffered the um, partial indignity of people thinking that I get paid a whole lot more than I have to do these things. So Robbie Williams, you know, and then the poem that I wrote talks about it, that, you know, I think I made $60 out of Robbie Williams, out of, saying, out, of, out of saying he was terrible. Was that worth it? Or, you know, my photo, my son's photo to go. But, you know, my son was four, like the, he was five months old in the photo, but he was four when it got shared. And so he was still in childcare. And so, a uh, daycare. And um, so all the mums in daycare became my friend because suddenly I was vulnerable and I wasn't like the fucking weird dad ogre that looked like a beast that walked across the room funny and didn't like Lana Del Rey. Suddenly I was a vulnerable dude who, you know, was approachable. So I made some friendships out of it. So that's got to be worth something. Thank you for honesty. question. No, it's a good question. It's a, it's a fair question. Yeah. Anything else? I should let you go. You all look like you're sitting here going, when do we get out of here? <laughs> Me too. I've got these books to read, so I need to drive home fast. <laughs> Thank you very much.